0: All right. You might think you know about the woman who sued McDonald's for their coffee being too hot. But what you may not know is that it was far from being a frivolous lawsuit. The Internet says it's true. Welcome to The Internet Says It's True, where every week we learn something that sounds like it's made up, but it's really true. Part of the WCBE podcast experience. My name is Michael Kent. If you like this podcast, go give us a review on the iTunes or the Purple Podcast app. Give us five stars, along with a sentence or two about why you like the show, and that helps other people listen to us. I promise I see every one of those reviews, and they are all greatly appreciated. If you want to go above and beyond, you can join the Patreon for whatever amount you want. $1, $5, $10, whatever you're feeling. And for that, you get access to exclusive stuff no one else gets to see. You can get that at patreon.com slash Kent, or you can support me with Corn nuts, because I don't care where you're from, corn nuts are like currency. And finally, we've got merch. If you want a mug or a t shirt to let people know you listen to the show, you can get that at the internetsaysitstrue.com, which is also the same place you can visit to submit topics of your own or just touch base and say hello. Let's get to today's topic frivolous lawsuits. When I say the phrase frivolous lawsuits, you probably think of one case in particular. The woman who sued mcdonald's because her coffee was too hot it happened in 1992 and it's a real thing that we'll talk about in just a little bit but that case changed everything in the way that the american public sees lawsuits it had a multifaceted effect once the public saw this lawsuit and judged it as frivolous they expressed outrage and backlash at the legal system in general started blaming everything on a bogged down legal system and even engaged in actual frivolous lawsuits, because once they saw it working once, they thought, why can't this work for me? So we saw some crazy lawsuits result, like there was an inmate who tried to sue himself for violating his civil rights, or the guy who just happened to look like Michael Jordan who sued the real Michael Jordan because people kept mistaking him for the famous basketball player, and he found that inconvenient. Or how about this one? A woman sued two little girls in Colorado because they delivered cookies to her home and it caused her a stress-induced panic attack. All of these are examples of actual frivolous lawsuits. But the hot coffee at McDonald's lady? When you really look into it, it's not all that frivolous. Here's the story that you may have heard. An old woman was driving her car through the McDonald's drive-thru, got her coffee, put it between her legs, and it spilled on her, so she sued McDonald's because the hot coffee burned her a little. I mean, after all. We know that the court awarded this woman almost $3 million, and that makes an incredible headline. The public reaction was, you mean we've come to a place in society where you're not responsible if you spill a hot drink on yourself? Well, the real story is quite different than the legend that most people think they know. On February 27, 1992, Stella Liebeck was the passenger in a car being driven through a drive through at McDonald's in Albuquerque. Her grandson's Ford Probe didn't have cup holders, so she held her 49-cent cup of coffee in her hands until her grandson could pull over into a parking spot. Once the car was stopped, she wanted to add cream and sugar to the coffee. Needing both hands, she put the cup of coffee between her legs and pulled the far side of the lid up. When she did this, the whole cup tipped over into her legs and seat, pouring the entire cup of coffee. The result were burns over 16% of Liebeck's body, including third-degree burns on 6% of her body. She was in the hospital for eight days undergoing skin grafts on her inner thighs and parts of her groin. She lost 20 pounds and was partially disabled for two years, needing constant care from her daughter. Now, if you're super brave and you're not squeamish, there are actual photos of Liebeck's burns on the internet. I remember when a teacher in college showed these as part of a class, and I have no idea what the class was or how these were pertinent, but I do remember the first time I saw them, and it completely changed my mind about this case. I had always thought of the case as one of these frivolous lawsuits until I saw how bad the burns actually were. They are awful. The truth is, Liebeck was wearing cotton sweatpants which absorbed and held the liquid next to her skin the coffee had been served at between 180 and 190 degrees Fahrenheit. Liebeck sued McDonald's and sought to settle for $20,000 just to cover her medical bills. We now know the court case became legendary, and we'll talk about why after a quick break. For the last couple weeks, I've been telling you about this company, Alder New York. They're an inclusive skincare line out of Brooklyn. Their values line up with mine, and I got to say, I'm a believer they sent me some samples of stuff, and I actually really enjoy it. Uh, and I'm using their 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 face lotion, so I guess you could say they've they've gotten me to alter my skincare routine. Is that pun as funny as it was last week? No, it's okay. You don't have to take my word for it, because editors at Vogue magazine, Harper's Bazaar, GQ, Men's Health, and more have just raved about these products. Allure calls it simple, sleek, and highly. Effective, And the cool thing is, you know, when you hear about a skincare line out of Brooklyn, you think that's got to be super expensive, but not necessarily. They have things starting at $7.99. It's clean luxury skincare that doesn't have to break the bank. They make skincare products with dermatologist-approved ingredients and plant-powered actives. And because you are listening to this podcast right now, you get 15% off your first order. Go to aldernewyork.com. That's A-L-D-E-R-newyork.com. Use promo code INTERNET and you'll get 15% off your first order, or just use the link in the show notes.
1: We're living through the most dynamic time in human history, and what we do as leaders matter. We are the ones that create the leverage to shift directions of our companies, our nonprofits, and our communities. As a leader or an emerging leader, please join me for a dynamic conversation with top thought leaders, academics, and executives to learn more about how to elevate your leadership. I'm Maureen Metcalf. Join us at the WCBE podcast experience at WCBE.org.
0: Let's get back to the story. When Stella Liebeck was burned by her cup of coffee at McDonald's, it put her in the hospital for over a week.
2: All I remember is trying to get out of the car. I screamed, not realizing I was burned that bad. I knew I was in terrible pain.
0: She and her daughter didn't set out to sue McDonald's for millions. Their response was actually pretty conservative. Liebeck and her daughter wrote a letter to the McDonald's Corporation asking for three things. One, for the coffee machines to be checked in every store to make sure they are in proper working order and not overheating the coffee. Two, if the coffee machines are working properly, for McDonald's to evaluate the procedure and temperature to which the coffee should be heated. And three, they asked for $20,000 to cover actual and anticipated expenses. Stella's hospital bills were already more than $10,000 with more expected and the daughter had lost income from needing to take off work to provide home care for Stella. McDonald's offered $800. This, of course, escalated things, so Liebeck got an attorney and filed suit with U.S. District Court of New Mexico. They cited gross negligence, saying that McDonald's was selling a product that was unreasonably dangerous and defectively manufactured. They first asked to settle for $90,000, McDonald's refused and Liebeck's lawyer raised it to $300,000. A mediator stepped in and suggested that $225,000 was an appropriate settlement amount. McDonald's refused again, so the case went to trial. It was during this time that several things came to light. McDonald's was serving their coffee at a temperature of between 180 and 190 degrees. And their reason for serving it so hot was that their customers were commuting and they wanted the coffee to remain hot during their drive to work in the morning. Experts testified that 190 degree coffee would produce third degree burns in just a matter of a few seconds. When you make a coffee at home, it's usually somewhere between 140 and 150 degrees. And if you put it into a ceramic mug, it cools it down even more than that. The trial also produced evidence that McDonald's had previously settled claims of people being burned by coffee that was too hot for as much as $500,000. And had been receiving reports about the coffee problem for the last 10 years, 700 of them. The jury ended up deciding that while 20% of the blame was on Stella Liebeck, 80% of the blame was on McDonald's. The coffee cup had a warning, but the jury decided it wasn't big enough. They awarded her $200,000 for compensatory damages and 2.7 million in punitive damages. This number was apparently arrived at because they thought an appropriate punishment for the restaurant would be two days of coffee sales worldwide. McDonald's made about $1.35 million a day in coffee sales. Now, that's not what the restaurant ended up paying. The judge reduced the punitive damages to something closer to $480,000, and the two parties ended up settling out of court. So nobody knows what the amount really was. It was a lot more than the $20,000 the LIBEX originally asked for. The news of the case blew up across the country, and regardless of the facts, The more intriguing headline was that this was a frivolous lawsuit. Those headlines were so effective that people still point to the McDonald's hot coffee case today, 30 years later, as a textbook case in the need to end frivolous lawsuits and to promote tort reform. The tort reform talk ramped up in the early and mid-90s. It was pushed by Republican lawmakers to protect businesses from lawsuits. They were pushing for a $250,000 cap on lawsuits from defective products. It was the result of corporations spending millions lobbying Congress to try to protect them from lawsuits brought by their own consumers. The US Chamber of Commerce even lobbied to unseat judges who were opposed to tort reform that they wanted. President Clinton rejected the idea, and by doing so helped protect families who need to sue based on faulty products and services. Here's an attorney, Adam Malone, at Emory School of Law speaking on a panel about tort reform and reacting to a 2011 Hot Coffee documentary.
2: What this all boils down to, to me, in my view, is the one thing that separates the United States of America from the rest of the world, and in my view, is that we have the absolute right to self-govern. And the two places that we do that are at the ballot box and in the jury box. And what tort reform is all about is about, uh, is about money. And it's about fear of you and your neighbors sitting in judgment of them. The uh, pro-tort reform people said they don't really care what the facts are. I leaned over um, to Professor Vandal and said they, they really don't, that's, and that's what caps are all about. Regardless of whether or not you injure Michael Jordan's hand uh, so that he's totally disabled and unable to use it if it were injured during his prime, or you injure my hand, I mean, surely his hand is worth more than mine is. If you were to compare it, but who's to say that some politician has the right after taking campaign contributions from someone to decide that the value of his hand is worth no more than $350,000. That's just wrong.
0: So, what you thought you knew about the lady who got burned by McDonald's may not necessarily be the truth. Sometimes legends are hard to defeat when they're more interesting than the truth. And in this case, it wasn't. frivolous lawsuit. The coffee was just too damn hot. The internet says it's true. It's time for the part of the podcast where I call a friend, and today we're calling another magician friend of mine, Peter Bois. Peter is a magician who, like myself, performs on college campuses around the country. He's currently on tour with his show that I'm completely jealous of. It's called Summoning Spirits. Uh, And uh, what's going on, Peter? Good to see you. Good to see you, too. Thanks for having me back. It's great to be uh, here with you. What were you on? Do you remember what we talked about last time you were on the show? It's been a long time. I don't remember. I want to say it had something to do with the president, but... It very well could have been, Uh, but, well, this this episode is is a weird one. There's no way that anyone would be a sort of... I I guess maybe if you were a lawyer, you'd be an expert in this topic, but other than that, you wouldn't know about it. But regardless of all that, you're starting up your fall tour. Now, you have two shows. You have, like, your comedy magic show, and then you also have the Summoning Spirits show, which is sort of... uh, it's ghost stories with magic, right?
1: Exactly. Yeah. Uh, ghost stories and magic. Creepy ghost stories combined with freaky magic that'll make you scream. That's kind of my <laughs> elevator pitch. I, and, and I'm
0: uh, so jealous of it because it's a it's got a like it's such a built-in market. I mean, everyone wants the spooky show for October and so it took like I think a year and a half or 2 years for you to from the time you developed that show to when it was just like, oh, Peter's booked every day in October and February, because now they call it Freaky February, which is ridiculous. That's not a real holiday. That's not a real yeah. thing. I made it up, actually. <laughs> it's great. It's fantastic. It's it's really good. Uh, and I love actually, that you're doing it.
1: I stole it from a student. A student told me about they did Freaky February. And I was like, can I use that? They gave me permission, and so I ran with it.
0: Have you worked out any other alliterative uh, months that would be <laughs> scary <laughs> September, <laughs> doomsday December? Like, really, you could just do this every month. Like, oh, you uh, guys don't do scary I, September? I, Everywhere I go, yeah, it's scary September.
1: Uh, I, now I'm Now I'm trying to <laughs> come up with more. Uh,
0: yeah, just every month.
1: <laughs> yeah, it'd be great. I would love to do that. If you have any suggestions, please email them to me at info at com.
0: Jolting January. I don't know if that one's as good, uh, but
1: uh, uh April. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, that's that's that one's not as yeah, you know, those don't work. No, uh,
1: yeah it's it's weird. I uh, I did the sh- I created the show and didn't even realize how much of an audience it would have in October. I'm like, yeah, it'll probably get booked. In the last week of October, but I didn't realize the how popular it would have it became for yeah. Halloween. Uh, Halloween shows, so it was some of it was definitely a surprise to me. You know.
0: And the ghost stories that you tell are some of them real stories, or they're based on real stories. Uh, they're
1: all air quotes real stories. Okay. So they're stories that have been uh, written down that I read about in books about certain places, and I kind of keep it, or I do just keep it to Maine in New England. I live in Maine because I like the idea of having it kind of like a regional feel, because mm-hmm. if I do shows in New England, these students or whoever watches the show could actually go to these places. Sure. Uh, either after the show, if I'm close to them or, uh, or sometime in the future. And then if I'm out of New England, people are like, Oh, New England is so scary. All these uh, ghost right. stories. So it kind of, I mean,
0: a- it's old, right? Oh. So like, you know, when New England is is older than the rest of the country, it's going to have built in stories. So yeah. Yeah. Well, I brought you on to tell you about a story, um, but before, before we get into talking about it, I'm going to ask you the first question, which is the topic. For this first question, we're going to play for a joke. So if you get it wrong, you have to tell me a joke, and if you get it right, I will tell you one, and the way that I've been doing it lately is just pulling one out of a book. So here is your question. In 1992, 79-year-old Stella Liebeck was awarded almost $3 million in what lawsuit? was it a she sued mcdonalds because the coffee was too hot b she parachuted out of a plane and landed in a pigsty or c she was never credited with the writing of house of pain's jump around <laughs>
1: uh so i can just see the credit on the uh, on uh, on the apple music as it comes up stella stella <laughs> jump liebeck Uh, You know what? I think uh, you might be trying to get me to go for McDonald's, but I can't remember that the woman who won that lawsuit, but maybe you're not trying to fool me, or maybe it's obvious. Are you playing magician (laughs) mind tricks on me? I'm going to go with A, McDonald's.
0: You are correct. It's McDonald's. I wasn't trying to. I just, I thought you'd, you know, that one was, I I just really wanted to talk about an old lady writing House of Pains Jump Around. I thought it would be hilarious uh, if that was true. I found it hilarious. Uh, Okay. I got to, I owe you a joke. Um, Let's see here. Find one. A man comes home to find a notorious Czechoslovakian philanderer coming out of his wife's bedroom. He chases him down the hall out the window, and down the fire escape. On his way down, the philanderer jumps into another apartment and says to the surprised tenant, Can you cash a small check? (laughs) Cash. C-A-C-H-E. Can you hide a small check with a Z? That's from Dixon's (sighs) Joke Treasury, available on Amazon.
1: You know what I did (laughs) years ago? I I bought this joke book from like the 1920s and was reading some of the jokes and it's pretty
0: terrible oh i tried to so we have a like my a family friend uh they have their little daughter she was like nine uh last summer i gave her a joke book that i had sitting around i was like here's a joke book and she was like i don't understand any of these jokes and i'm like well maybe you're not like reading correctly or reading them right or whatever she can read fine the jokes were just they didn't make sense to adults because all of the references were dated. I, I have it here. It's, uh, it's called The Best of the Good Clean Jokes by Bob Phillips. And to give you an example, um, an honorary degree is like the curl in the tail of a pig. It follows the main part of the animal. It is highly ornamental. In no way does it improve the quality of the ham. Like that. Uh, imagine a nine-year-old reading that. As we were talking just now, and I read a joke, your light went out. What are yes. the chances of that being a New England ghost from your show?
1: Probably like a hundred percent.
0: hundred percent. I mean, if I had to estimate. A hundred percent of them are fake. Yeah. Uh, but you're still <laughs> going to go with that. Now, you, do you tell the audience in the show that the ghosts, are, that there's no r- real ghosts?
1: Um, I have a, I don't believe in disclaimers because people are going to believe what they believe no matter what. Because if I say this whole show is fake, mm-hmm. they're going to, at the end of it, if they want to believe they're ghosts, they're just going to be like, oh, he had to say that, or he's just trying to get us not to to throw us off the scent or something. And right. then if I say, these are super real ghosts, then all the skeptics will say he's full of it and all the believers will believe. So it, it really doesn't matter what I say. Uh, but at the beginning, I, I do state I, there's a an opening monologue and kind of the line is, um, I'm a hardcore skeptic. Even I have a hard time, uh, not believing, you know, believing, not sure. believing these. So, yeah. um, and that's pretty much it, but, uh, it didn't, doesn't matter. Really yeah. yeah. No, you're, Cause you're, people believe what they want.
0: You're probably right. And even if they don't believe it's still, um, easy to suspend your disbelief with stuff like ghosts. Yeah. I don't believe. And I go to ghost tours in every old city that I visit, you know, it's I've fascinating. been to, I've I mean, been to the ghost tours are, all over the country. Yeah.
1: I mean, they're fascinating because yeah. you learn the stories of the people and then the and, drama as to why uh, there's some sort of hook or drama that makes them want to haunt someplace or
0: people. Ab- absolutely. And like, for example, you know, I did the one of the ghost tours in Savannah. And when you learn about the ghosts of Savannah, you're learning about the history of this city that has seen so many different battles and so many different um, times when large parts of the population died. So you're learning the history. You know, you're learning mm. about... Revolutionary War, the Civil War, the yellow, the the um yellow fever, you know, plagues, all these things that just killed large swaths of their population, uh, because all of these stories are rooted in that stuff. So, yeah, some neat stuff. There was one one story in Savannah where they dug up uh, the basement of a house to put in like a wine cellar, and they found a whole bunch of um, British soldiers buried in the basement. That's creepy. Yeah. <laughs> so there are a lot of stories about that one. Yeah. So so much oh, cool man. stuff in Savannah. Uh, but like the like New England, it's old. So that's why. Let's move on uh, for question two. For this question, we're going to play for doing the dishes. So um, if you get it wrong, you have to immediately do the dishes when we're done here. If you get it right, okay, I like, have to do I, my dishes.
1: Oh, I thought I had to go to your
0: house. And you do can. Dishes. You're welcome to. But my dishes might be done by the time you get here. I know you're a vegan, so you probably don't like your dishes don't get as dirty as mine. I feel uh, I feel like really. Yeah, I feel like when you have like meat and fats, there's it's like dirtier whereas yeah. although mm-hmm. I, when i picture a vegan i'm just picturing like you know fruits and vegetables i don't think of all the sauces
1: <laughs> yeah uh well you know we we have fats in the form of like olive oils okay okay you know, seed oils olive That's oil true. avocado oil uh canola oil oh my gosh avocados
0: i i have learned that i like avocados so i i'm ready to be a vegan yeah. I uh, know for it. it. It's such a big switch. How long did it take you to convert?
1: Um, I didn't even start doing it with the intent to become vegan. I was just thinking, I need to eat more vegetables. And mm. then I stopped eating red meat. I would have a burger occasionally, but and then I just started eating more vegetables. And then I'm like, Oh, I can eat vegetables as you know, I realized I wasn't so reliant on sure. meat anymore because I grew up in a meat and potatoes type of family. Yeah, me too. And then uh then I'm like, oh. I could probably try it. And then I tried it and I was like, oh, it's not too hard. And, uh, it was actually kind of fun to find new recipes and cook differently and cook new things and new tastes, new spices that I've never tried before. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. The transition was probably over like six months or so.
0: Yeah. And you just, you go on the road and you just have to eat more like Indian food, Mexican food when you're on the road. Yeah. Indian food,
1: Mexican food, yeah. uh, Mediterranean. Mm-hmm uh, or a lot of veggie burgers. It is, Mm. it is really tough on the road because sometimes I go to a gas station and I just get a bag of popcorn and a couple things of peanuts and that's my dinner. (laughs) You know, (laughs) it's not great, but, uh, uh, but I like, I like to say I'm predominantly plant-based because occasionally, uh, I'll have fish a handful of times a year, something like that. So So
0: to bring this back to the the topic at hand, when was the last time you ate at a McDonald's?
1: I eat at McDonald's all the time.
0: What do you get at McDonald's that's, that's vegan friendly?
1: Uh, I get, well, I eat breakfast there. So oatmeal okay. without the cream and a hash brown. And a hash and brown. And a coffee. <laughs> yeah. Yes,
0: yes. So okay, well, I, it's an your, easy breakfast. Your, your question is this In the United Kingdom, a McDonald's franchise was purchased by what famous person in 2008? Was it A, Gordon Ramsay, B, Emma Watson? or C Queen Elizabeth II. I
1: you know, I don't see Gordon Ramsay cuz he couldn't turn it into anything. That d- that does not make sense to me. Emma Watson makes a lot of sense, right? She's young person, flush with money, and she probably like loves McDonald's or wanted a McDonald's and there wasn't one around and I'm going B Emma Watson. The
0: answer is c queen what? elizabeth the second yes emma watson uh born in 1990 would be very young to own a restaurant although she did get very oh, rich at a very young age yeah
1: what year was that did you say again? uh 2008 2008 yeah so, so that'd be
0: 18 not yeah she's but i guess she was very famous by the time she was that it that was very very yeah. rich by the time she was 18. So she very well could have. But the answer is that Her Majesty purchased a retail park near Windsor Castle where the branch of the fast food chain is located. Uh, the Bath Road Retail Park. In, I don't know how to say this. Slough? Slough? S-L-O-U-G-H. My, my United Kingdom uh, listeners will tell me slough. how to say that. Slough. Uh, it's visible from the Queen's quarters in Windsor Castle. It was bought by the Crown Estate uh, for 92 million pounds. So she owns well, i don't know if she still owns this but that was the story in 2008 so that's pretty incredible it I, is I,
1: I would have guessed gordon ramsay before the queen yeah right because that uh, would have been like an maybe an ironic purchase by <laughs> yeah by gordon
0: just i think if you're gordon ramsay it would be fun to tell your friends uh come eat at my restaurant and then you just take them to mcdonald's <laughs> and be like what i own it or you take them to mcdonald's and they have like the most luxurious big mac they've ever had in their life that you've you know put gordon yeah. ramsay stamp it on. looks
1: like a mcdonald's but you go in and it's all the same
0: stuff but it's like just gourmet yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, yeah. this is an actually a really great idea for mcdonald's to do uh, it's
1: made from like real ingredients and stuff
0: can you imagine if there was a mcdonald's like that in say like new york city it was and they called it like luxury mcdonald's or, or just they just called it mcdonald's and it was kind of like a secret that if you go to this one it's all like homemade food like food made from scratch instead of the rest of oh my god that would be amazing Everyone would yeah, try to what? go to that. Uh, so you have to do the dishes. I'm sorry to tell you. That's, uh, uh, so
1: uh, it's going to be very difficult after this. I'm just going to go upstairs and uh, press a button.
0: It's gonna be... <laughs> you don't have you don't have hand washed dishes? Hell no. Are you one of those families that you don't buy a mug that isn't dishwasher safe?
1: Um, good question. I don't really buy mugs.
0: Not a not a mug buyer. No. I feel like we have a lot no. of mugs in this house. So. Yeah.
1: We, I, uh, I do, you know, I hand wash knives after I'm done with them because okay. I hate putting, I hate oh, yeah. putting cooking utensils in there because sure. right, you, need if em. you need them throughout the day. They're never. You always have to wash them twice. One hundred percent. Take that's, them out, wash it, that's use right. it, and then wash it again.
0: And our knives, um, are fancy knives. I do not like to put our knives in the dishwasher because I feel like it's going to ruin them somehow over time or something. So yeah, that's my nice. I don't know what you call them. They're the fancy kind
1: uh I, I went for the cutco
0: yes those are supposed to be nice uh yeah. mine are the uh, wa- uh wusthof i think they're wusthof and uh i only use the chef's knife <laughs> it's like i just use one knife i don't use any of it. it's like a set of eight knives i use one
1: it's the most useful knife you can do anything it's with all that you knife. Need.
0: it's all you yeah. need the only thing it's not great for is uh uh cutting open a, a turkey like through the skin and the meat i like to use a bread knife for that it's serrated Uh, But you don't Hmm. have to worry about that because, you know, tofurkey can be cut with a butter knife. So (laughs) I don't know if that's true.
1: I make this incredible loaf. It's a uh, for Thanksgiving. It is a mushroom and lentil stew with a like a apple cranberry sauce layered in there with incredible mashed sweet potatoes on top, all wrapped up in a puff pastry. It's amazing. That sounds
0: amazing. I might like that better. I'm not a big turkey fan, so I might like that actually better than than the traditional Thanksgiving. Uh, let's keep moving. For this question, we're playing for a Tell Me What to Google sticker. This is probably the name of the podcast last time you were on it. Uh, I don't know if you were on <laughs> after we rebranded or not, but uh, they're all I have right now. I don't have the real stickers, so I only have my old stickers.
1: So, are you just trying to get rid of those now? Is that why?
0: Yeah, I just I looked around my table a long time ago, and I said, "What do I have to give away?" And I had those stickers at the time, and that's uh, just always remained the stakes for question three, and for every guest, it's always a sticker. So, for, the, for for here's your question: Which one of these was a real lawsuit that McDonald's won? These are all lawsuits one of them is real the other two are made up and you know what i just realized what's that
1: all the questions re- revolve around mcdonald's
0: <laughs> yes the story is about the, the hot coffee at mcdonald's and the woman and i really should should also say um the reason that i that i thought this story was interesting about the woman who you know the frivolous lawsuit that's that's pointed to as like the first frivolous lawsuit in the modern era is because it wasn't a frivolous lawsuit The lore of the story outran the truth of the story, um, which is that the woman was very badly burned and the coffee was served way hotter than it ever should have been. And uh, McDonald's knew about it and for a long time and was warned and did nothing. And so they absolutely deserved to lose that lawsuit um, and to pay out. So, But the story, the more interesting story is that, you know, in the early 90s, someone spilled coffee on themselves and now they're suing the coffee restaurant. You know, that sounds frivolous. It's a, better, it's a better story than what the truth is. So. Yeah. Uh, here are your three lawsuits. A, Elizabeth McCoffee started a coffee shop called McCoffee's. It was her last name, McCoffee, M-C-C-O-U-G-H-E-Y, but her coffee shop was called McCoffee's, spelled like coffee. McDonald's sued her after 17 years in business. They won in court. They made her change the name. Here's the second one. Dr. Seuss, Theodore Geis, created a character who stole the Christmas ham from the dinner table and originally called this mischievous character the hamburglar. Until McDonald's sued him, they won that case. C. John Ramos, or is it John Ramos Ramos of Madison, Wisconsin, installed a ball pit in his family pizza restaurant and was sued by McDonald's, who claimed that it was a proprietary part of their playland area.
1: All right, so I'm crossing off c i I don't see that holding up in court at all okay um not at all um, but hamburglar, but that doesn't sound like a Dr. Seuss word like yeah, I don't know. I don't think the uh hamburglar i could and but a if it's if you name something after your name, a product or a store and it's your name, I don't think you're legally, you can't be allowed, you can't be forced to change it, I don't think. I'm just going off with my...
0: Uh, <laughs> What's your gut say?
1: I'm going with my lawyer head here, which is uh, nothing. <laughs> I don't. I know nothing about law. <laughs> one of law. these is true. Uh, I'm going with, oh, man. But the first one sounds more plausible. I'm going with A.
0: With A, yes. The answer, the... believe it or not, is A. You are correct. Elizabeth McCoffey started a coffee shop called McCoffey's M C C O F F E E. So her her she she used the the word coffee in the name of her restaurant. So she changed mm-hmm. the spelling of her name for that, and that is why they sued her. Oh. She couldn't call it, yeah. And now, if she would have called it McCoffey spelled G H, she probably would have been able to keep that. Um, but no one would have known it was a coffee restaurant for 17 years. So, uh, That's true. Yeah. So you win a Tell Me What to Google sticker. I will give it to you when I see you this fall somewhere on the road. That sounds great. I'm sure I'll that see sounds- you sometime. I'm coming
1: to Columbus, I think, or Dayton.
0: Okay. Good deal, man. I'll have to come. Yeah. Is it for, for uh, the Summoning Spirit show, or do you know? Yes. Oh, yeah, I it is. See it. Yeah. I want to see it. Okay, question four. For this question, we are playing for an admission of our favorite And least favorite plots in magic. If you get it wrong, you'll tell me yours. If you get it right, I'll tell you mine. Now, last week, I asked this question to Eric Tate. These were our stakes. Um, He got the question right. I completely forgot about the stakes. I never said mine. And so whether or not you get it right or not, I'm going to share mine. You can share yours. We'll both share in this one.
1: Oh, nice! I just watched Eric Tate win
0: third place. At you were Pism there in yes, Quebec. We talked yes. about it last week. Uh, yeah, yeah, he won. He won third place. Amazing! He's been in all the newspapers here in in Columbus. Um, it's been fantastic. And one of the cool things that you may not have known about his performance as you watched it is um, Eric relied a lot on local artists for that act. Uh, so the music was locally sourced. The wardrobe was made by people here in Columbus. His art direction, everything was from people in, in central Ohio. And that was sort of, yeah, Yeah, I did not know that. And that's actually the
1: first time I got to meet him. Um, I was hanging out with Dittleman a lot and he introduced me to him. Super
0: nice guy. Super nice guy. guy. Yeah. I like Eric. Uh, so here's a three frivolous, frivolous lawsuits. One of these actually happened. (laughs) Here you go. Uh, Similar to the last question, one of these is an actual. Now, this isn't necessarily, you know, that McDonald's won, and these all don't have, these have nothing to do with McDonald's. A man sued Budweiser because their beer failed to help him attract beautiful women like in the ads. That's your first option. B, a woman sued Nike after their shoes didn't make her run fast enough to make the USA Olympics team. Or C, a man sued a funeral home after he claimed their location in a bad part of town resulted in poor attendance at his wife's funeral.
1: Oh my god. I hope that's not it. <laughs> that's awful. <laughs> they're all awful, but one of them's true. Oh, that's awful. All right, so we'll go in reverse order here. Funeral home, that's uh that's just crazy. I can't even imagine somebody I maybe with they're filled with enough grief that they just are trying to win something or take it out on somebody. Um, but then again, he chose the funeral home and he 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 knew its location beforehand. So, you know, I'm not buying number three. Uh, number two, failed to win the Olympic, get on the Olympic team. I feel like if you're at that level, you have to be smarter. Like if you're about to almost if you're on the cusp of making an Olympic team, you know, you have to be smarter than that, I think. And I mean, you've gone through a lot of shoes at that point. There's no way, but I have to go with the guy that thought he could attract lots of females and blame it on beer because uh, that just sounds
0: right. It sounds American is what it sounds. Yeah. It sounds
1: American. It's You know, if, if I can't attract women to me, it's not my fault. It's it's the beer.
0: <laughs> well, Peter, you are correct. Once again, you're doing well. You, uh, The man sued Budweiser because their beer failed to help him attract beautiful women. You are three for four. Sad, lonely Richard Overton filed a lawsuit against Anheuser-Busch in the early 90s. So despite consuming more and more of their beer in order to lure the attractive women in their ads, the logger failed to make his fantasies of having beautiful women fawn over him a reality he sued him for $10,000 claiming to have suffered emotional distress, <laughs> mental injury and financial loss. He was looking for a sugar mama I guess or maybe just having bought all the beer. Needless to say the case was dismissed from court never actually made it in. That's said <laughs>
1: so, I can't believe he said I was looking for a sugar mama because Well
0: he didn't say that. I'm just saying oh, he didn't, say the that. fact that the fact that he looked he was looking for financial loss or claiming financial oh, loss. Yeah. Maybe it was just yeah. cuz he bought a whole bunch of beer. I really don't know.
1: If you're looking for a sugar mama, you should be you should be buying the uh, like the Cristal or the you know the, the right. champagne. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, but you know it's the it was about the ads. It was all about the ads that that Budweiser was showing in the '90s in the in the '80s. Yeah. You know,
1: was this after uh, the coffee spilling
0: incident? It was actually the year before.
1: Oh, so interesting.
0: Um, yeah, and and maybe if it happened, you know, after the coffee spilling incident, maybe it would have had a chance to make it all the way to court and maybe it would have been accepted I don't know the case was thrown out uh so what's your favorite even though I you don't have to tell me do you have a favorite and a least favorite plot in magic
1: you know I don't have a least favorite plot uh but my least favorite trick
0: yeah let's talk about that
1: the linking rings okay and there's is there a reason uh I feel like it's dull like after the first time you see them link and unlink it just yeah. gets less I, impressive i the agree with you the more you go
0: yeah i agree and with you the ones that just, the linking ring routines that i like are just two two rings that link yeah and then unlink yeah and, like, and there like are a several, himber like a well yeah but even you know there are several routines where there's like look don't see routines right where you're doing the linking and the unlinking and the other person can't get theirs apart, and you're not looking at them and then you look oh and yeah you know i think it's a maybe a whit hayden um routine or something anyway um I think those are great, and i've I've seen some some really great, just two ring l- routines. But I agree, I agree. Yeah. What about uh, um, What about and favorite? that's
1: That's old since I was a, since I first started magic. Okay, uh, favorite plot. Maybe uh, I can go favorite plot for this because sure, I think my favorite plot is transposition.
0: Ooh, yeah, yeah. Two things changing places. Yes, the, two things lady. changing
1: places, and preferably like mixed in an impossible location there. Like sure. one of the things is a borrowed object. Right. And yes. It's plan.
0: So it's, and I, it's, I especially, their like, object. I especially like a transposition when one item is in full view the whole time. Mm. So say like there's a, you know, a, a $20 bill and a playing card and they're going to switch places. So I'm holding the playing card and then I cover in the, you know, in the bills on the table and then I cover up the playing card and then it's the bill. And then you look down at the table that the uncovered bill has now become the playing card. I, I love those types of things, you know uh, where, yeah. you know, the second thing it's just because you, you know that it changed and you weren't looking at it. Uh, yeah. But and that I might think, be just cause I'm a magician yeah. and I love being like that badly misdirected. Mm-hmm. And what we going to I think, I
1: think I like it because it kind of has a built in plot. That's more than one beat, you know? Sure. Uh, cause you have two, two things that happen. Something disappears yes. or changes and then you have to go follow it up with uncovering, I, finding the uh, finding the thing again in another place. I
0: agree, and I think what that is for me is that I like when the audience is led to the natural next place, um, and this yes, happens a yeah. lot in improv when the audience catches on to whatever the game is or whatever the the joke is. Um, then the next setup becomes really funny because they know where it's going to lead and and so if something happens you don't have to tell the audience that the other thing is going to happen they know that it's going to happen because it has to that's great those those are those are great choices i think for my least favorite plot i have a couple and it's usually mentalism um it's i'm critical of mentalism but i've never really seen myself or, or been been a mentalist um the the magic square plot mm-hmm. is um mm-hmm. a thing where uh, most of my listeners are not magicians, so I'm going to have to explain this a little bit. There's a grid on usually like on a marker board and some numbers are given and um, everything seems random. But then when you add a number together this way, it comes to whatever number this person shows. Say you add these and it's 49 and then you add top to bottom and it's 49 and diagonal. It's 49. And if you do all the you know, corners, it's 49. The reason I don't like it, I've never seen a routine that fixes this issue. The performer can add faster than me. I have math anxiety. I'm not a, the same thing happens when I try to play blackjack. I don't like that everyone at the table can add the cards faster than I can. I'm just a slow like math person or whatever. I'm good at math. I'm just slow. Uh, It just takes me longer. And so I feel like after the first time when the performer adds the numbers together, I'm having to take their word for it. They could, they might not add to 49.
1: I don't know. Well, that's, that's like blackjack too, because I think most of the people at the table are just taking the dealer's word for it.
0: Oh, well, the (laughs) dealer doesn't always tell you either. You know, it depends on the dealer and what time of day you're playing. I like the ones where they do tell you, you know, it's it's more like (laughs) when I play on my phone. (laughs) They
1: should have a little sign on the blackjack table. We count for you, you know,
0: (laughs) table for bad counters. Uh, so that's one of my my least favorite plots. My other least favorite plot, also mentalism, is called color match. This is where um, someone is taking random markers out of a you know thing, and then they write the the performer tells them to color this picture, and by the end they've got a prediction of those colors in this picture. And I don't like it for reasons that I really can't get into without explaining how the trick works. But I think that the audience memory is different than what the performer thinks the audience memory is. Um, and then I just don't like it. I feel like it's it's a lot of process for very little payoff.
1: Mm-hmm. I think you have an axe to grind with mentalism.
0: I I might because you know a lot of my least favorite stuff is all is all mentalism. Um, you know I have I I, I in terms of plots that I love. Uh, I was gonna say a simple vanish. Um, in, in under impossible conditions. I I think of mm-hmm. um. Derek Delgado's in and of itself, which you can watch on Hulu I believe um and where he builds a a house of cards around a brick on a table very slowly and methodically, and then he blows the house house of cards over and the and the brick is just gone i I love things like that there's there was an appearance that Copperfield used to do that was kind of like this. he only did it for like one year in which they were building sort of a shadow box on stage uh and and he he it, it's the opposite so his was a an appearance i believe this the routine starts with him leaving up the aisle and you see him go out the back of the theater meanwhile his assistants are building this shadow box on stage that you can see light through and then he just he's inside the shadow box i think things that are really slow and melod- methodical um and completely impossible when presenting something that's very physical magic something appearing or disappearing mm-hmm. i really enjoy that type of thing
1: um, My favorite vanish is called impression vanish.
0: There's, there, I've seen <laughs> someone do this now. And this is something I think, even if you're not a magician, you can look for online. And what it is, is, uh, you know, you used to like do, you know, you've seen people do like grave rubbings um, where you take a piece of paper and you like you run o- rub over it with a pencil or some chalk and then you can see an impression on the, on the paper. You can do that with like a penny. And at the end... Uh, the penny's gone you, and you can still see the impression of the penny on the paper it was definitely there uh, and for those of you um, not who don't know this Peter, this is Peter's trick he invented this <laughs> he makes the money when you buy it so look up impression vanish at your favorite magic shop
1: yeah that shameless plug there yeah. but uh, that was interesting because when I did make that you you were talking about like and I agreed Derek Delgadio's vanish of brick is amazing and beautiful Uh because a lot of times when you vanish something as a magician, you always want to bring it back, or you usually bring it back, sure. you know, um, because it feels incomplete to the audience. Yeah. But I just love the idea of making something vanish and having it so deceiving that you don't have to bring it back. Right. And, or you don't do it to leave the audience unsettled like, where did it go? It was so impossible. They have no clue where it is sure. or where it went. And you just leave them with that. Well, it's almost like a note of dissidence in uh ending on a note of dissidence in a song or something like that.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it, and if if it doesn't come back then it really vanished. Yeah, yeah. If it comes back, exactly. it was somewhere nearby. Now, yeah. in the case of Delgadio's show in and of itself, um, you know, the brick does appear somewhere else that he tells them um and an audience and it's an audience member comes up with any any intersection in New York City, and that's where the brick reappears. And so people can jump in a in an Uber after the show and drive to that and the and the brick will be there. It's a gold brick. You can't miss it. Um and just incredible. But uh when David Copperfield makes 13 people from the audience vanish at the end of the show, the first tour that he did that, he did not make them appear reappear at the end. And uh I was in it. I I disappeared. Uh I I,
1: you were part of that trick? I was part
0: of that trick. Yeah, I was backstage and everything. Yeah. So I got to go in the box. David Copperfield made me disappear and then there was an announcement at the end of the show that said if your loved one has has vanished they are now on tour with David Copperfield across the country but he <laughs> did not bring them back in the show like he did after that so I think the next tour he started bringing them back making them appear on stage again at the end That's but cool. Yeah. That's cool. So Hey
1: uh, so you asked me you told me to have a joke ready but uh I I was so good I didn't need a joke but you can want to I tell show you anyway? something but can I show you something? Well, this you can is tell
0: I, me something. It's a podcast, so showing me something. Yeah, well, isn't Well, I'll
1: show it to you. And 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 uh, this is we were talking about my uh, little electronics project here. I, I made another one. What uh, is this? I will just for those of you who can't see, it's a little box with two flashing buttons.
0: And it says and it, Finn's joke machine. It's yeah. it's a it's a light up. There's an like an LED display or a grid of lights. And it says jokes, Finn's joke machine. There's a, there's a, there are two arcade buttons. That are, and, yeah. there's, they're, they're, they're and there's blown. a red
1: one. Here, so I'll you I'll show you the red what happens Does it when the a red joke? one plays. Okay. What did the limestone say to the geologist? Please don't take me for granite.
0: Wow. Yeah.
1: And then, and then you want, here's the blue button.
0: I was just going to ask if you had an applause button and that's even better. You have a laugh. Now, is that, I know that that's your voice telling the joke. Is that your voice doing the laugh as well?
1: No, I found the laughs. They're part of Apple garage band oh, S- really? yeah, they're uh, like, sound effects. They're so that's amazing. I figured, I figured I'm good with copyright on them if Apple gave sure. them to me. But, so yeah, that I have is like, so a, great. I have a bunch of jokes loaded in here and you want to hear another one? I yes, don't know. I, what's do. up. I don't even know what's up next. So call a duck that gets all a's on his report card a wise quacker
0: oh my gosh (laughs) this is so good if i booked you at my show i would just want you to bring these things like magic's cool but this stuff is awesome like you could just just bring these and just play with them bring all your, your little electronic toys you know what you have become peter you have become the dad in the beginning of the movie gremlins
1: Oh, really? I've have never ever... seen that movie, so you're going to have
0: to explain. Go back five seconds. What? <laughs> you have never seen the movie Gremlins? No. Okay. Well, remember how I said that you have to do the dishes? No uh, yeah. longer do you have to do, do the dishes for the one question you missed so far. You have to watch the movie Gremlins, new Stakes after the fact. Much more important than doing the dishes. You need to watch the movie Gremlins, and the people that are listening... Who's mouths are dropped open like mine is right now? uh, Know what I'm talking about? The beginning of the show is the dad, and he's like he has all these crazy inventions that he makes. So, oh, he's like an electronics tinkerer type of guy. Um, Uh,
1: They're they're so silly, and but they give me so much joy.
0: I love it. (laughs) I just this is put a smile on my face. I, I love it, man. I love it. Uh Well, we've only got one more question, right? And we've gone a little bit over time, but I just enjoy talking to you. This one's for all the marbles, Peter. If you get this wrong, I'm banning you from this podcast. You will not be asked a third time. Here's your question. What is your number one travel tip?
1: My number one travel... I thought about this long and hard. And my number one travel tip is uh, if you get to a hotel too early for check-in right they always Mm -hmm. say three o'clock check-in and you go i go up to the counter because a lot of times a flight gets in and you want to take a shower and before you head out to a show or if you're on vacation you want to get into your hotel and take a shower so you're ready uh, for the festivities that evening uh first of all you just try i try politeness and hi i'm peter i have a reservation for tonight i know i'm a little early but Didn't know if you could squeeze me in, and I don't have any preference on room. If that doesn't work, oh, we we were booked solid last night. Uh, We don't have any rooms, or we don't have your room ready. And they're not willing to switch you to another room in the computer because sometimes you get front desk people like that. Uh, If they say that, then you. This is my tip. You just there's always a couch in the lobby. You say, okay, that's fine. I'm just gonna hang out right over here. You just let me know when it's ready. And you go over and you sit down and maybe take out your computer and then maybe you take off your shoes and you put your feet on the coffee table. <laughs> maybe you lay down, maybe you should close your eyes for a little bit of a nap. Maybe you open up your suitcase and a pair of dirty underwear falls out. Um, maybe, I mean, there's a lot of, you get where I'm going. Maybe yeah. you take out your floss and start getting <laughs> that piece of apple that's been stuck in there for a while. Uh, you could do that. Maybe even a little bit of teeth brushing uh, that could work. Uh, so, you know, do what makes you feel comfortable, <laughs> but, the, but do what makes them feel uncomfortable. Yeah, <laughs> the
0: premise being this is a business and this is their lobby and this yeah. is the face of their business. And uh, it's, it's then in their best interest to not sit there and, and watch you do that for the sake of themselves and for their, for their future mm-hmm. guests. Uh that's great man. I uh, that is that is all great advice and and very um a common situation in in my travels. I know that because I I take the first flight out usually just for forgiveness, you know, so I can in case there's a travel delay I can still make it to the city in time. And I I get to the airport or I get to the hotel early so often. And uh yeah.
1: and I'm, yeah, we're always asking to be let in early and it can be Usually it goes smoothly and people are nice. And if they have a room available, they'll switch things out for me. Uh, Actually, I ran into this over my last show. They just didn't have, he wasn't willing to push, put me into a different room that was ready because I booked on Priceline and apparently it's not allowed. Yeah. And, oh, that's another thing. If you book on those uh, discount sites, they always treat you like crap.
0: Yeah, because they're not getting or, paid as much, right? right. Yeah,
1: so, but uh, but, yeah, if you just kind of make your home in the lobby, usually within 30 minutes, they found a room for me, so.
0: That is uh, that is wonderful advice and a right answer, Peter. You went four for five today, which is fantastic. I am happy to have you back on the show again. You can learn where to see Peter Bois on his website. It is uh, peterbois.com. Now, Bois is spelled... B-O-I-E, correct?
1: That is correct. And if you can't remember that, petermagician.com.
0: Petermagician. Uh, I, I I really appreciate you coming on, man. And uh, best of luck with your travels this fall. I can't wait to see you on the road some, sometime somewhere.
1: Yeah, man. Thanks for having me back. It is great to uh, see and talk to you.
2: to the internet says it's true to listen to episodes ad free and a week early support us on patreon you can do that at patreon.com forward slash michael kent if you learned something
1: just now that you didn't already know go to the apple podcast app and leave us a
2: review with five stars and a few words That helps us a ton because that's how the algorithm works. I don't know what an algorithm is, but just do it.
1: See you next week for a brand new episode of The Internet Says It's True.
0: The Internet Says It's True would like to thank the Patreon subscribers whose monthly contributions help to make this show possible. Dallas Ray, Sean Brown, Bryce Swanson, Eugene Anderson, Matt McVeigh, Jim Martin, Joanne Martin, and the show's official Emperor Kick Track. The show is written and produced by me, Michael Kent. The theme song is by Finite Music Forge. All audio clips in this episode are used for education and commentary and used under Fair Use Title 17, USC Section 107. You can listen to past episodes by searching for The Internet Says It's True wherever you get your podcasts, and you can see bonus content at patreon.com slash Kent.